0: So, over to you, my I, darling. Yes, I need you to stay up here for the beginning part. So, um, I'll explain in a moment, but f- for those of you who weren't here, we're doing a series called The Prodigal God, and today is The Prodigal Response. So, I need a to stay up here, especially for social distancing and all this stuff. But have you ever hugged someone before, and they give you like, like now it happens a lot, the little side hug. You know that vibe, eh? Or if someone hugs you like this, and it's like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's awkward. It's horrible. You know when it's not reciprocated, you know? Uh, you know, you, you want to give a nice, there was also a bit of a side hug. What's going on here? Eh? <laughs> um, but also, you don't want too much. You don't want one of these, like, you know, like um, Jim Carrey, when he, he goes, I hey, hate goodbyes, and he hugs and he goes, Give me a hug. And he's like, and then, also, do you know, I don't know if you've ever hugged someone before, and then you're not, like, married, but they like, like, kiss your neck, because they weren't sure if they should kiss you on the cheek, or I just have a little kiss on there. Have you had that before? I remember I used to avoid my aunts because they would always want to kiss me. And the older they've got, the more prickly their moustaches got. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Sorry if you guys are watching, but anyway, there's nothing worse when something is not reciprocated. You know, whether you tell someone you love them, like you know, if Jin says I love you, I've got to say it back. You know, if you don't, you like get whipped, eh? Not really, but, but do you know what I mean? You've got to have some reciprocation. Okay, so thanks for being up here. You can go back down now. <laughs> but uh, you know, I thought of bringing up Colin to do that experiment, but uh, Colin hates hugs. Come, Colin, come give me a hug. <laughs> He's like, no ways. Um, but there is nothing worse than an awkward hug. And, uh, you know, when somebody's not heartfelt, when you've given your heart towards somebody and it doesn't come back in the same way... It's like, oh, it's just horrible. Um, I don't know if you remember this, Jin, but I, so I was over in Chicago. I was leading worship at a church there and Jin sent me a message to kind of, she had prayed for me and, you know, um, sent me on this nice message to say, you know, think of you this morning, prayed for you, hope it all goes well. But I was literally like in such a panic. And er- I mean, the, some of those American churches, this is a pretty big church and everything runs to schedule. We had rehearsed like you can't believe I got there like five in the morning and you do the whole service through three times it's like crazy pressure they broadcast and anyway so I saw a message from Jen so I just gave her a a quick thanks appreciate the message (laughs) I I like I was like gonna phone her later and like chat properly she was so bummed with me eh? I was like well I, I mean I really did appreciate it she goes I'm not one of your fans I'm like, I don't have fans anyway. I don't know what the heck you're talking about. Like, but you, I don't know. Like, I said, thanks. I appreciate your message, but it was very generic, maybe. Did you remember that? It was so funny. You don't remember that? Jeez, I remember it. I was in trouble. They didn't give the right response, right? And uh, I know some of you husbands here today, eh? you, you, you hear it from your wives when you don't have the right response to something. So last week, we looked at the prodigal God. And we looked at how, um, well, the story of the prodigal son, for those of you who maybe missed it, you need to go watch it because it blew my mind just with some of the stuff I've been reading into. I've also got a friend here today, Brian, told me to read this book, The Prodigal God. But um, basically it's a story about two sons, not one son. We always refer to the prodigal son, the wayward son that went off and squandered the father's money. But the book or the story is actually more about the older son. And Jesus, who he was telling the story to, was actually talking to the Pharisees as well as those that would have related to the wayward son. But also it's a picture of God's grace, grace and how actually he was prodigal. He was reckless. He was extravagant in the love because the father should not have welcomed the son back in that same way. Um, but I don't have time to talk too much about that. But there was last week, the prodigal God. And I was thinking, remember we said that we weren't sure what this would turn into, if it was a series, if it's a few more. And uh, I, I really felt like we needed to speak, and maybe even for a few weeks, into the prodigal response. What is our response to God? Because I think God's got the prodigal thing right. He understands that, and, and just by the way, as, as I say prodigal, some of you are thinking, but I thought prodigal was like wayward, like he was, he was bad. If, if you look at the word prodigal, it says wastefully, or recklessly extravagant, giving or yielding profusely, very generous, lavish or lavishly abundant. So our God is a prodigal God because he was lavishly abundant and extravagant in his generosity towards us, even so much so that he sent his only son Jesus to die on the cross. And I think God has got this prodigal thing. There's so many stories actually in the Bible about God just loving us all the time. So he's got it right. I think for us as a people, I think we need a little bit of help in our response to God. So that's why we're going to spend a couple weeks just looking at what is our response to this amazing God. We're going to look at humility. We're going to look at all sorts of things. But today, just to kind of set it up, I'm going to look at a story in a moment of which I believe was such a prodigal response to God. And the word response basically means, you know, an answer or a reply of sorts. Uh, it's either done in words or in some action. It's, it's a return it's a reciprocation, as I was talking about now a moment ago, to what has been given to you. Now, for those of you who have young kids, you will know that sometimes you do not get the response you would like from your kids. So at the moment, when I pick up my son, or um, well, all my kids actually still, I was like, how's school? They're like, I'm fine. You get this as well. I'm like, did you learn something new? No. I'm like, well, what do you mean? You go to school. You didn't learn anything new. And they just mumble as well. But did did you have a fun day? Yes. And there's just not much that comes back. It drives me insane. So the other day, I give Jonah a lesson because he just had a bad attitude. And i was saying, don't you think it would be better if you have a good attitude? And he's like, what's attitude? Because he's eight, you know? So I'm like, you attitude, that's just an example right there. Anyway, but I try and explain to him. I give him this whole lesson. And if he starts the day feeling grumpy and whining, he's not going to have a good day. And learning to change the attitude and eventually after, honestly guys, five to ten minute conversation, he eventually admitted that having a bad attitude will determine a bad day. Because I was trying to explain, he just wouldn't admit it. Anyway, so later that day I pick up the other kids from school and Jonah's in the car and he had a bad attitude still. Because remember, he didn't actually take my advice. So I said, Jonah, remember our conversation this morning? So now the other kids ask, what conversation? I was like, no, I was trying to explain to Jonah about a bad attitude, and as I start saying that, he goes, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a real challenge at the moment. But the response I'm trying to pull out of him is just not coming out, you know? My oldest son, Jude, who's 15, uh, i told you this before, but it went from I don't know to I don't know to, don't, and now it's just, hmm. All the time. I, he still does it. I'm like, dude, what do you want to do to mm-hmm. So anyway? I just think that for us as Christians, as people, we shouldn't have the mm, response to God. And often, let's just be honest, I don't want to make this heavy on anyone today. But when you sometimes look around and worship, or you just, I don't know, maybe at home group or wherever you are, just our responses are sometimes a little bit, a little bit dead, eh? A little, mm-hmm. Now I know by nature some of us are more reserved than others. I get that. I actually am quite reserved by nature like I'm not the one at the party like my wife who like goes nuts and crazy and dances on tables right but but it just means it requires more from me God wants me to have a a heartfelt response towards him and sometimes it takes a little bit of effort for that and sometimes it it, it's got to go beyond my comfort zone because let's be honest since when was worship ever about us (laughs) I don't, I don't really like to lift my hand. I don't really like those songs. I don't, I don't like the loud thing. Well, how about, what, what, God, what do you like? So we're going to be looking at what a prodigal response is. Now, a quick story before I go to the passage that I'm reading today. When I was at Bible college, I learned about the Hebrew words to praise. There's seven different Hebrew words. Like the word love, I love you would mean one of four different things. There's eros, filie, um, agape, and storge. I think those are the four. They all mean, like you love your dog very differently to the way you love your wife. Hopefully, guys. Um, you, God's love is different to the, the filie, the friendship love, okay? Or I love chocolate cake. It's all different, right? And it's the same as with the word praise. There's seven different Hebrew words. I, I can't go into all of them today, um, but 70% of the time we read the word praise the Lord in the Bible, or when we sing praise the Lord, we often determine that word praise based on our cultural background or our church background. So to praise God could mean, you know, standing with a hymn book. It could mean singing a lively song. It can mean many different things, right? But we often determine it based on what we're comfortable with or what we know. But I think when we get to the original intention for praise and see God's heart for praise and what the response that he requires from us, we'll get a little shocked. Because the halal praise is where we get our word hallelujah from. We sung about it a moment ago. It, it's basically a lifestyle of love. Like where you are foolishly in love with God. That You know when you just meet that special somebody, you know in the early days, some of you maybe you have to think back a long time. But you know, you're like, I don't care what anyone else thinks, okay? But like, I am in love with this person. And all the, there's just so many blind spots. I remember once getting a Valentine's Day card when I was at school, and I never understood it. It said, love is blind, but the neighbors ain't, so don't go kissing by the garden gate. You know, when you're like 13, 14, you're like, what the heck does that mean? You know? Love is blind, but, but, but yeah, it, it is. You overlook all the different issues and different things. And being foolishly in love with God, it comes from the primary Hebrew, a Hebrew word, root meaning for, for hallelujah, and where we get a hallelujah from. But the meaning of it is this. Are you ready for it? And 70% of the time we read the word praise in the Bible, it refers to halal praise, which means to shine, to boast, not in in an arrogant way, but to boast of God, to celebrate, to commend, to sing, to be clear, to Lord, to rave. I know raving's not in anymore (laughs) with the whistle, but it's basically to have a jaw. It implies the unashamed use of the voice, unashamed. Just now we're talking about how some of us are too scared to sing, in case the person in front of us hears. But the unashamed use of the voice in demonstration of what one thinks of God. That's the meaning of halal praise. It means more to be clamorously foolish. Where we get our word clumsy from. To be clamorously foolish. I know some of you guys have been clamorously foolish, but after a few. Okay? Do you know what I mean? This is to be clamorously foolish for God. And be joyfully excited about him to act madly. Are some of you shocked? Yeah, cool. I'm never doing that. That's just halal praise. That's the praise that God like really just rejoices in. Because it's, you can see a heart that's free. A heart that doesn't really care about people's opinions. It's, it's unashamed. It's extravagant. It's prodigal. So I had learned this word at Bible College, and I was so excited. Eh? And, and I was leading worship at the time, and I went and led worship at a like a, I won't mention the name of the camp, but it was, a, it was like a youth camp. Not connected to the church, but it was an inter-youth camp. And I was one of the worship eaters there. And the one night, it was awesome. We went absolutely crazy. People were praising God, and we were actually singing a song called Undignified. Anyone remember that song? It was a song that Matt Redman wrote, and it is, is this, I will dance, I will sing, to be mad for my king, to love madly. And the song comes from um, David when he danced in his underclothes before God. We are talking about this earlier. We'll probably unpack it a little later in the series. But he, he danced in his underclothes, so much so that his wife despised him, looked at him like, you nuts, because he was, for God, though. And this song, I will dance, I'll become even more undignified than this. And people were going crazy. And I just remember some of the leaders standing at the back. Felt like they were David's wife, <laughs> looking at me and judging me. And, but it was such an awesome time. Anyway, I was pulled aside the next day to a meeting by one of the guys that ran the whole thing. And he was like, just want to chat about last night. So I was like, yeah, it was awesome, eh? <laughs> just trying to like, he was, um, just does this. So I'm like... He says, what was that song, Undignified? What, what is that? I said, no, it's a song about David. I'm so excited. It's been bad for God. He's like, that's the biggest load of SH1T I've ever heard in my life. That's what he said to me. He didn't say SH1T. He actually said the, the thing. And I was like, okay. He says, I don't think we'll be doing that one again. Guess what we did that night? <laughs> Maybe I was just rebellious. But, but I, I mean, I, so, I was so shocked. Well, here's a guy who, who's in charge of this whole thing and he calls a song like that which is from the Bible about being unashamed before God he calls it a load of and I'm like God like, please let me never ever have that response to you God deserves a, a prodigal response and worship is more than a song it's not just singing songs but it's how we live our lives And talking again about Matt Redman, who wrote that song many, many years ago, they felt their church became about just performance and singing and writing. And they stopped the worship in their church for a few months. No no band. And they just worshiped God, just free flow, just with their voices. And they didn't have any production. And out of that time, Matt Redman wrote a song called The Heart of Worship. I don't know if anyone remembers that song. I'm coming back. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Okay, And it's, there's a line there that says, and it's all about you, it's all about you. And then there's a tag at the end that says, I'll bring you more than a song, more than a song. And lifestyle, worship being a lifestyle is so important. So now, I want to look at the story in Luke today. And the, the story is titled, Jesus anointed a sinful woman. Now, what's quite amazing about this, because I really felt led to the story before I even prepared this message off the back of last week. And what amazed me is how God just lines things up. But again, in the story, you get the wayward woman. Remember I was talking last week about the wayward son? And then you get the, the Pharisee, the righteous one. And in this exact story, you get Jesus who was anointed by the sinful woman, but he's at a Pharisee's house for dinner. So the, it's the wayward verse, the righteous. And I think instead of being called Jesus anointed by a sinful woman, it should have been called Simeon annoyed by a sinful woman. Because Simeon was the Pharisee. And there's three other accounts of a woman pouring out a perfume onto Jesus' feet. Now some believe that these four accounts are the same. But I did a lot of study into this this week. I also chatted to a lot of scholars about it. I did a lot of research. And I think the story in Luke is a separate one entirely. That's my feeling. Because the, the, from a timeline point of view, and although the other houses where uh, the other anointing happened, they mentioned Mary's name being the one, and they mentioned Simon's house. Now, Simon and Simeon could have been the same thing. That's why some people believe it was the same. And there was a woman who came and poured perfume and tears. But this particular story, I believe, happened in a different town. And I believe that this woman um, was not Mary. But it is such a powerful uh, illustration of a prodigal prodigal moment, a prodigal worship. And so there's three other accounts in in Matthew, Mark, and John. But this one, I think, is is completely separate. And I love the way one version of the Bible uh, subtitles this. It, It calls it extravagant worship, not Jesus' anointing uh, not a woman anointing Jesus' feet. Okay, so can we turn to this um, passage? It's, it's really powerful, and when we unpack it, last week I read through the passage, and then we unpacked it. Today we're gonna read and unpack it together. Okay, so turn to Luke chapter seven uh, from verse 36. If you've got your Bibles, you're welcome to open them now. If you've got your phone, or you can obviously follow on the screen. Okay, are you ready? Are you ready for God to speak to you? There was a uh, mm-hmm response. <laughs> Are you ready for God to speak to you today? Yes, there, there we go. I like it. it. takes the new people to get excited in the front row. Around. What's going on? Okay, so one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Now, interesting again, like I said earlier, here's a Pharisee. And then there's this sinful person who... Arrives, and what's interesting about the Pharisee? They were always sussing Jesus out. Don't you love that word, suss? Like it just just sounds skeptical. <laughs> they were always just like fig, trying to figure him out, like judging him secretly and silently. And then it says here, when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, now um, some versions call call her the woman of the streets, i.e., she was most likely a, a prostitute. And she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Now some of you say, why did this woman just come off of the street? That's like, surely you don't just invite, like in our culture, you don't just gate crash a party, right? Or maybe some of you do, you know? I'm hungry, can I come for dinner? Um, but it says here, in, in some of the footnotes I was reading, it says, if, if there was a visiting rabbi or teacher, it was, ex- it was expected that uninvited guests could just show up and listen to a conversation. Isn't that amazing? Dif- completely different culture today, but you could just show up as long as there was room and just listen to what was going on. You weren't really allowed to do anything or say anything. Okay, so this particular um, Pharisee must have been quite prominent and well-known. He obviously had quite a, big, a large home because people could all just come on in. And she brings with her an alabaster jar. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the alabaster, uh, it, it's like a creamy a stone marble colored kind of, uh, I think there's a picture put up on the screen. It kind of looks like that. And in these jars, they would keep their oil. Oil was, uh, oil or perfume of sorts. It was very symbolic. Jin was talking about scented candles earlier. That's, they didn't have the technology to make scented candles, but they would often you know, burn fragrances or perfumes. Or you know, uh, It was also shown as a, a sign of respect. Also, they would put oil in people's heads because it was very hot in the Middle East. And you know, you need that especially if you didn't have hair, like my friend at the back. Um, but uh, you, you would need to put oil on the head. Maybe you should get one of those, Mr. Tate. Uh, anyway, um, so it says this, she comes in and she brings this oil. Now, it says it was expensive. They believe that that full jar of this perfume was worth uh, 300 working days. So picture your year salary, whatever it is, right now because it's all relative, that's how much it was worth. So maybe between 50,000 rand and I don't know, some of you, I don't know, a few million, I don't know. But it was worth a lot of money, okay? And she brings this with her. Four points today. Number one, worship is costly. Worship is costly, it's a sacrifice. Now it doesn't have to just be in, in, in a monetary value, like I'm not talking about an offering here, but when it comes to our lives, worship is a lifestyle. It's a sacrifice. We've got to give up some stuff because it's for the best for our lives. But also it honors God when we just give Him over everything. Do you know the first time worship was mentioned in the Bible had nothing to do with a song, but everything to do with a sacrifice. And it's a story about Abraham and his son Isaac. When he was going to offer him as a sacrifice, he said, wait here to his friends. I'm going up the hill to worship the Lord and he was going to offer a sacrifice of his son. Worship is a sacrifice. I said I would allude to a few other Hebrew words to praise. One of the Hebrew words to praise, and it's a bit of an odd sounding word, it's called todah, not tada. it's todah, and it's, it's a lifestyle of sacrifice. And todah comes from the same principal root word as yadah, which we'll look at in a moment, but it's used more specifically. Toda literally means an extension of the hand in adoration. That's why people lift their hands in worship, okay? It's an open statement of affirmation. It's acceptance to extend the hands in a sacrifice or praise or thank offering. Basically, just like an extension of your hands to God. It's like a, it's a surrender, really. I know sometimes, you know, when, when you do worship or you've got your hands up, it's, it, it is a sacrifice because sometimes I get tired. You're like, mm. you know. I remember Scotty many years ago. He's not here today, but we had a prayer meeting. Do you remember that? And he made us all hold hands and lift them up in the air. But like Scotty, he's hardcore. Eh? Everything is like you know, comrades is easy for Scotty. Um, we we had our hands in the air. I don't know, twenty minutes, half an hour. Those were like buckling. It's eh? <laughs> a hands up. It's a sacrifice, guys. Anyway, so that's what toda um, uh, means. It's, it's it's costly. It's a sacrifice. And then she comes in with this alabaster jar prepared for a costly sacrifice. And then, then it says, yeah, then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Almost felt like, can't even approach from the front. I'll just come from, from, from behind and kneel behind. Her. Um, one of the, the meanings of, of the word um, to kneel in, in Hebrew is Barak praise which speaks about kneeling or or a lifestyle of blessing to kneel or by implication to bless God as an act of adoration. She was getting all of this right, right up front. No one had to give her a teaching on what praise means. But she comes and she kneels. And let me just say that in front of everybody. She she was known as a promiscuous woman. Who knows if she actually was, because maybe she had been left by her husband, abandoned. Maybe her husband had an affair, but then those women were often outcasts and it wasn't even their fault. And many of them would have to turn to different ways because they needed an income or because they were just left on the streets. But we don't actually know her story, okay? And then in front of everyone, she comes and she kneels before Jesus. I mean, she wasn't embarrassed about what everyone might think. She knew she just had to get to Jesus. If anything, you know, um, others in that room would have been embarrassed for her. Like, what is this woman doing? Like, is she nuts? Like, is she crazy? What, what, leave the guy alone. This is probably what they're all thinking. Point two, though, is worship is letting go. It's just a letting go. You know, we all have this thing called pride, eh? And if you think you don't have pride... That means you do. (laughs) Sometimes people think, you know, know, I'm humble. False humility actually is a form of pride. We all have pride. And this woman comes, she just lets it all go. She's like, I don't care what anyone else thinks about me. I'm going to come and kneel before Jesus. And she kneels in surrender. And she gives Jesus this form of praise, which is Barak praise and she gets on her knees. And then it says here, her tears fell on his feet. She was really broken um, just in her own life, but just came and just poured it all out to God. We sung about that this morning. And she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Now, some of you may think that's really weird. Like, Imagine someone doing that to you. Like, I don't want anyone, I don't even want anyone touching my feet. Like, Jen's like, go for a pedicure. I'm like, are you joking? There's no chance. Any guys like that? But in in those days, a few guys like that are half little, (laughs) they don't even want to talk about their feet, right? But in those days, it was custom for you to have your feet washed when you arrived at someone's house. Or if a servant didn't wash your feet, um, you could wash it yourself, but it was, it was a respectful thing that at the entrances of the homes, there would be like wash basins where you could wash your feet. The reason because of that is, remember, they live in the Middle East. There was dusty roads, and often they would walk barefoot or um, have sandals on, so the ankles would get really dirty and the, you know, the sides of the feet. Um, and that's why she washed his feet with tears. And that tells me something, that no one washed Jesus' feet when he walked in. And guests would also greet each other with a kiss. Even men would kiss. How many of you are glad you don't live in the Middle Eastern towns? But anyway, it was just normal and actually still happens today uh, in, in Middle Eastern men that they, they would kiss uh, on the sides of the cheeks. It, it, it was, it's like shaking hands for us. And now we've just become a used, accustomed to the, the, the little fist pump, you know? Isn't it awkward at the moment? Like you don't know if you should do this, then Oak puts his hand, then you do put your hand, then they go like this. And eventually you end up like just touching hands like this. It's it's horrible, eh? The other day I did that with someone, we all just went like this, eventually we just hugged. We're like, oh, okay. So Anyway, and then as I said earlier, um, the oil was, was really symbolic of like literally bringing out the red carpet for a guest if you had oil because it was expensive right and the oil would be placed on the head especially you know if they'd been out in the sun all day but also just it would be to clean the hair because the hair would be full of dust so it, it was this is what they would do okay so she so she does this her tears dripping onto jesus feet and she uses her hair which ladies let's be honest like hair is um it's like a a symbol of how clean you are, kind of thing. You know, it's like if your hair is clean, it's like important for your hair to be clean. She uses her hair, which is obviously very significant, important to her, to wipe Jesus' dusty feet. Isn't that amazing? Then listen to this: When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he didn't even say it out loud. Remember, I said they were well, always sussing Jesus and judging. If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. This is what he's thinking. Okay. I love a Bible commentary that I read. It says, Simeon thought Jesus should have known he was dealing with a sinful woman. But Simeon should have known the love of the one next to him to forgive and to restore. I love that. Because while he's trying to judge Jesus, he was so misguided. Because Jesus would have known, and as you can see in a moment, not only did he know that she was a sinful woman, but he also knew what Simeon was thinking. Because straight after this, as he's thinking this, He says, then Jesus answered his thoughts. You can imagine Simeon, you know? Can I just say this? Religion focuses on the sinfulness of a person, but faith sees the glory of the one who forgives and heals. Let me say that again. Religion focuses on the sinfulness of a person, but faith sees the glory of the one who forgives and heals. Jesus answers Simeon. It's like he's busted. You know, you know, when you, you didn't know someone was watching you doing something, you just get a bit of a fright. You can imagine someone just kind of drifting off, judging Jesus, and G- and then he just says, uh, Jesus answered his thoughts. You know, yesterday we were at this kid's party, and there's this one little kid there, a friend of mine, this kid. And, I mean, this guy just didn't sit still. Like, I bust him a few times. Like, he, he's just got a big sand clog. He was coming up to the edge of the pool like this. And he was about to throw it. I was like, bro, you better not do that. Heath is watching you. Then a little bit later, he's got like a fishing net thing and he just goes up to the fire with a fishing net. I mean, it's like this high. Then next thing, he's at the pool pump and he's lifted the weir thing off. Next thing, he's got a glass of water and he's coming to the fire and he wants to pour. I mean, I could be, how old is he? Like three. Anyway, I can imagine this kind of response from Simeon, like being busted. Like, cause every time I said, no, 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 no. He was like, looked at me, you know. And Jesus says, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Now, maybe he still thought he wasn't busted. <laughs> some, some version says, uh, Jesus said, I have a word for you. And you know, when someone says, I've got a word for you, you get quite excited, you know, especially if it's something, hey, something encouraging, you know, he, he didn't realize what was about to come. So, so. He, he, Simeon must have thought, awesome, kind of, let me hear it. So he says, go go ahead. And then Jesus tells him the story. It must have taken a while for Simeon to figure out what Jesus was actually saying. But he says, he says the story. He says, a man loaned money to two people 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to the other. For perspective, some versions speak about uh, denarii, which is the currency of the day. One piece of denarii uh, was equivalent to a day's wage. So they're saying it's, it's a very similar ratio. So a piece of silver was equivalent to one day's wage. So one has been given basically a year and a half worth of wages. Okay, so you figure that out, whatever that looks like for you. And another was given one and a half months of wages. We'll continue the story. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave both of them. Concealing their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? This is a question Jesus asks Simeon or Simon. Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Simon thought, hey, awesome. Get, got this right. Then he turned to the woman, because remember, the woman was behind him. Then he turned to the woman. <laughs> but still talking to Simon. That must have been pretty terrifying. <laughs> you know when someone talks to you while they look like look, look at somewhere else, but you know now you know you are about to get it. And he turns to the woman and he says, look at this woman kneeling here. Doesn't even look at Simeon at that stage. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, But from the time I first came in, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. But she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and there are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Some version says, but those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. I love that. Because remember the story of the prodigal son. It was actually more about the older son that was self-righteous. He was the good son, but he was still lost. He still needed help. And in this story too, the Pharisee, guys, you've got to remember this. I spoke about it last week, but the Pharisees got everything right on the outside. They thought they were perfect. They thought like they got it all together. They weren't the sinners because he was judging already the sinful woman. Meanwhile, his self-righteousness was holding him back from giving extravagant worship to Jesus because he thought, he assumed that he didn't need to be forgiven much. And because of that, he loved very little. He didn't even show respect. And guys, I gotta be honest, you see that so much with Christians and in a church people do not understand the cost, what Jesus did for us on the cross, and they don't know how to worship because they just do not understand what he did for us. Many of us born in Christian's home, maybe, or, you know, we've grown up a Christian, and, and many of us would sit here today and go, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty decent guy. You know, I'm, I don't like steal, and I don't like mess around. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty decent. So therefore, I, you know, I don't really, some of us, let's just be honest, think we're okay without God Sometimes. Like, God's like church, this whole thing is maybe just like a little, it's like a, a sideline thing, you know? This whole God thing. But worship, point three, is gratitude. Worship comes from a grateful, thankful heart, regardless of how good or bad you think you are. The Romans says all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. You all, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, how good you think you are. This story is aimed at those people to go, you know what, God, I still am a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. Worship is gratitude. I wrote this down, and it's pretty strong. If you're self-righteous and think you don't really need God, you won't be able to really worship because you, your own God. I wrote that down for myself, too. So... If it just went "ow" a little bit, that, that's okay. It's not condemnation yet. Yeah? This is conviction. God will convict us because sometimes we just need to realign our priorities. And I said I'd come back to uh, "yada," which is uh, another word for praise. And "yada" is a lifestyle of thankfulness. It's being grateful for everything God is and does. It's actually a verb, and the root, mer- the, the root meaning of "yada" is to throw out your hands. It's actually amazing because. I only added this in last night, and I said to Maddie this morning, are we doing that song, Gratitude, by any chance? And she was like, yes, we're doing it as a tag. And it speaks about throwing out your hands. I was like, that's amazing. Because the root meaning of this is to throw out your hands, to give thanks, to confess, to worship to with extended hand. Also speaks of like how you would throw an arrow and hit a target. It's like, I am just going to be so grateful for all the things that God has done for me. And then Jesus says to this woman, after this encounter, while still looking at her, back to Simeon, and he just says, your sins are forgiven. Worship is freedom. Worship is freedom. Can you imagine the absolute sense of release that that woman felt? Just knowing, because she had been labeled, spoken about, a woman of the streets. Jesus, everyone knew who she was in town. She had a bad reputation. And right then at that moment, living with all the guilt, all the shame, regardless of what her story looked like, I don't know how she ended up to be like that. But Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, just says, your sins are forgiven everything you've ever done, thought, or imagined is gone. Isn't that amazing? And that's the way that God looks at us. And if you felt bad a little moment ago when I was kind of being a bit challenging, you don't need to be, because Jesus says you're forgiven. But you have to have the heart of openness to God, the extravagant worship heart, saying, God, I need you. And you know what's crazy? Is these people... (laughs) You know, when, when you're judgmental and critical, you, you, you don't ever take responsibility. Let's move on to the next thing. So, while this woman is just embracing this grace and almost just relinquishing full control over to God and putting Jesus on the throne of her life, and when we do that, let me tell you, you are completely free. These people go on to say, The men at the table said amongst themselves, Who is this man? that he goes around forgiving sins. Who does he think he is? And you know what's powerful about this? I don't know if you've ever picked this up before. But Jesus, remember, people were still sussing him out. Jesus was hinting at the fact of who he really was. Because it actually goes on in other versions where there's actually another time when Jesus said that your, your sins are forgiven. You know when the guy was lowered down, he needed healing, and he said, go in peace, your, your sins are forgiven. And the people after that said, who does he think he is, forgiving sins? Does he think he's God? He didn't think he was God, he knew he was God. And he said, daughter, your sins are forgiven. And he was hinting at the fact that he was God. Because let me explain something to you. If I hurt one of you, if I go up to Edgar and I punch him in the ribs, especially now with broken ribs, I might have to also go to your wife for forgiveness. But who do I need to go to for forgiveness? I need to go to Edgar and say, I'm so sorry for doing that. And he has the power to release forgiveness towards me. Is that right? It's the same as with this woman and all her sins. When you sin, you hurt God. And he was saying, your sins are forgiven. He had the authority to do that because he was God. And these guys were so upset about that. It was blasphemy. You can't claim to be God by forgiving people's sins. And they were murmuring. And so much so, they murmured and murmured and eventually they ended up killing Jesus for blasphemy because you, the Bible says, a mere man claim to be God. That's why we kill you. They didn't want to learn from the lesson of Simeon. They're now thinking this in their head. See, people with pride never take responsibility. They just go on to the next thing, the next thing. And I want to encourage us today as we close the service is take the time right now. I want you to close your eyes. Take the time right now where you are. Just allow God to soften your heart. Because if you don't, you're going to end up having pharisaical thinking, judging people, thinking you don't need God, thinking that you're okay on your own. Thinking things about who you believe God is. But God wants to soften your heart today and just reveal Himself to you. And even as as a picture of the story, this woman just humbly, humbly coming before Jesus, why don't you take a moment just to say, God, do what you need to in my heart today because I desire that response. I desire a prodigal response to you, God. that are holding me back. Today I wanna just let go a little, give you my everything.